0: So we started Carbon Collective because we couldn't find any way to invest for our retirement that was building the world that we actually wanted to retire into. And that, put simply, is a climate-stable world. If we are able to solve climate change in the next 30 years, and when I say solve climate change is, to define it, is we run our global civilization without burning stuff. We're no longer having to combust to do it. Mm.
1: Hello, fellow do gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belize, an activist who is passionate about social impact and building a better, more sustainable future. Every week, I invite you to care a little bit more so that together we can all build a better future. Have you ever wondered how the money in your bank is used while it sits in your account? Is it doing good or is it invested in projects that you wouldn't like to see funded? Today, we're going to dig into this topic and more like it as I introduce you to Zach Stein. Zach is a sustainability entrepreneur and the co-founder of Carbon Collective, a company that's making it simple to invest in portfolios that are built around what some are calling the great climate transition. He was born and raised in the Bay Area, where I've spent the better portion of my life, and presently lives in the East Bay with his newborn and his wife. Now. Zach, welcome to the show.
0: Karina, so glad to be here.
1: Now, life with a newborn can be a bit nuts, right? Complicated?
0: (laughs) Oh my God, yes, yes. We're in that sleep stage right now. He's almost five months old, and so we're totally in the four-month regression where the last two nights he slept almost six hours in a row. Before that, like the past 10 days were terrible, so it's just day by day.
1: Well, I feel you. And we had to reschedule this once because you had child care issues and almost had to reschedule today because, well, COVID closed my child's daycare. And that meant that all week I've been scrambling and juggling chainsaws. But I'm just thrilled that we get to come together finally and have this discussion because it's one that really matters to me. And I have to say, you know, the past several podcasts that I've released have really kind of dug into this whole thought about where we're heading with our future, how we remain engaged when things seem daunting, when it feels like you can't make the difference that you want to make. And so I thought we could start there, right? Talk a little bit about, for one, how perhaps parenting makes you think more about the future that we'll create to leave behind for them. But for two, how we can all take a little bit more involvement or stay engaged as we confront such daunting issues as the climate crisis that is unavoidable at this point?
0: Yes, it's such a good question. And I think it is something that as a new parent, and I think as any parent can attest to, basically all your free time goes away, (laughs) or almost all of it. And so it becomes even harder to make that kind of way to prioritize of saying, I deeply need to do what I can to protect my child. And there are global things. I was born into a system that was run by fossil fuels. This is in a globalized system. I am one person. How do I interact with that? It's this really interesting parallel between the micro and the macro and how they intersect. What we like to often say when it comes to prioritizing climate actions is start with the big stuff. And I know that sounds really daunting, but starting with the things where Once you make the change, you no longer have to think about it anymore. So this is something, it's like changing how you invest or changing how you bank, what type of car you drive, how you cook your food, how you provide electricity from your home. Each of those are really big decisions. It's not what should I eat for lunch. It's significant. And so picking that up, taking the time to look at it, and then, but once you do it, you just get to put it down. And you are just now living your life. You're being that busy parent in a way that is just far more aligned with building that future for what we want for our children. And so that is often a place that we say is a really good way to start because decision fatigue is so real in this space. I mean, we're feeling this in all things, you were trying to juggle childcare and all this, I imagine it's a really hard to make the decision of like what should I eat for lunch today?
1: <laughs> well, and I think you're touching on something that I've talked about in earlier episodes. When you talk about your money just sitting in the bank, I learned through reading Paul Hawkins' Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation, that Chase Bank is the worst offender when it comes to things like fossil fuels, fracking, on down the line. So as far as a bank that I would seek to partner with, it's kind of the opposite ethos of what I would look for. And that was where all of my savings were and my general checking. And so overnight, I felt like I need to make a big change and I'm going to shift where these funds are to a lesser of evils for now while I do more investigation. Because the thought for me of having my savings contribute to these things that are the opposite of what I would want my money to do was just, I want to say it felt like a stab in the gut because This is exactly the thing I work to do the opposite of. I've never purposefully invested in fossil fuels, not once. And yet I know friends of mine who have a natural leaning and who still chose to invest in fossil fuels because it could make them money now. And I feel like we need to take a different stance, especially if we're passionate about creating a better climate and build a future that we would want to live in through our investments as well, even how we bank. Now, you did me the favor of sending me a few banks that you would recommend I look at as lesser of evils or best case scenario, but we're still in a spot that isn't ideal. It's not like I can just walk down to my local branch and say, hey, I wanna open a bank account and know that my money is going to be doing the things that I want it to do. So what is that state of that industry and what can we expect in the next few years?
0: Yeah, so when we look at the state of the banking industry, we're seeing change, which is good. There are more options today um, to go to. There's kind of three broad categories that I would talk about. First is like the big banks. And if you're listening to this, and you're in a big bank, that is one of the actions that you should take is you should leave. There are none of them that are aligned with solving climate change. In fact, pretty much all of them have only increased their loaning out of money, which is your deposits. To fossil fuel expansions since the signing of the Paris Climate Accord. That is not great. So leaving them, that is a way of you're taking out your money. They're not being able to use it. Also, they're <laughs> banks. Like it's a crappy service. Like the amount of savings, the saving rates are terrible, like at Bank of America. And so it's also just this link. And this, I think, touches upon what you said of your friends, they were invested in fossil fuels because they're like, I want to make more money now. And I think that we have this somewhat maybe outdated thought of people being in this space of saying, I want to make the world better, to say, in order to do so, I need to sacrifice something. And that, for taking the banking example, and we'll touch more on investing later, but the banking example is just not true. You can join a bank, there's like multiple startups, most is one, Ando is another, where you'll get a better savings rate than you would at Bank of America, and your deposits are being used to finance renewable energy.
1: That's just better. That's right.
0: It's better across the board. The sacrifice you need to do is what I talked about at the beginning. You pick up that big decision. He's like, look, it's a pain in the ass to switch your bank over. As you saw, you have all these auto deposits and different things. You have to go through and look through it and do all of that. So it's annoying. But once you do it, then it's done. Like the auto deposits are reset up and you just bank. And it's just how your money is being used is different. The same is true of investing. There is these underlying narratives that fossil fuels are a necessary evil in a balanced portfolio, and that the counter-narrative, that sustainable investing, which is what we do, is fundamentally a charitable act, that if you do it, you should expect worse returns. And neither has been true. If we went back to the year I was born, 1989, and divested from fossil fuels, from the S&P 500, you would have made more money over that period than you would have just investing in the S&P 500. This includes a period of time because often financial advisors will say, well, fossil fuels are really important as something that's counter-cyclical. So when the rest of the market is down, they can tend to go up. This happened in the 2000s, from 2000 to 2010. The S&P 500 was basically flat and fossil fuels were up like 350% in the US. And yet still over that longer time horizon, it performed worse. And then when we look ahead of saying, because we get this at Carbon Collective, we say people who are coming to say like, all right, you know, I've done the research. I'm ready. I'm ready to divest. I'm ready to invest in climate solutions and align my portfolio with the world that I know that we need to build. And I'm ready. I know it's not going to perform as well, but that's fine. And we say, amazing. We're so happy to have you. But that last part is incorrect because again in the near term we cannot predict performance but when we look at the long term macroeconomic trends and we look at fossil fuels as an industry they actually somewhat have no place to go they are being outcompeted in the major areas that they're used today transportation being one of them electric 50% of the oil that we use in the US goes on our roadways electric cars are a fundamentally better technology this is again where it's a reward it's not a sacrifice They are faster. They can tow more. They are roomier. They are safer. They cost way less to maintain. You can drive a Tesla for a million miles, literally a million, and they're going to cost less within the next five years to buy up front. That's just a better technology.
1: I'm curious what your thoughts are because another part of me sticks to this kind of minimalist pathway where it's like you want to make do with the car that you have because it's already been created and it's already run a part of its life cycle but if we continue to let's say just move the gas cars that are on the roadways into the waste heap or into a second or third life with a second or third owner fourth owner fifth owner down the road don't we get to a point where we're essentially creating a system where Poor people are driving gas guzzlers that they can't afford to even keep with fuel. (laughs) And they're still out there emitting and still out there creating those problems. So I wonder what your thoughts are specific to that.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a good question. And what you touch on is equity and justice within this transition. What we look to is how do technologies change and what is that rate of adoption? Because when a new, better technology comes, it is often more expensive than the older technology. A car was more expensive than a horse and buggy when that car came along. But you had those that could afford it, that said, this is fundamentally better. Then we're able to stimulate demand for the market to come and companies to go and build a lot more of them. For more, You had more gas stations and the other infrastructure that would come up with them, that they made it more possible for more and more people. You have the Model T, etc. We're seeing the same thing happen. This is where taking the action that is transitioning us to a zero carbon future, you are actually sending a signal to the supply chain. If you're saying there should be more of this, there should be more invested in it because an electric car costs much less to drive. It is much better from a financial perspective, especially as the upfront cost comes down. So there's going to be a transitionary phase in period. And this is where we can push for more things like governmental support to help those who are, can't afford it, to be able to do that earlier. But I think it's fairly simple from an individual's perspective of if you have the means and it's the right time and the ability to make that switch, then do it. I think that what's very important is if you are in a position of buying a new car, is trying to ask the question of, you're going to lock in emissions, or you're buying a new furnace, or you're buying a new stove. We don't make these decisions that often. So it's not just the one time, but it's saying, I'm committing to burning gas for 10 years from this, that that's a really impactful decision, and we need to factor that in. I had this example actually happen to me, funny talking about this, and then like one of these things happened where I ended up having to spend way more money to be aligned with my climate goals. A week before my son Caleb was born, this is in the middle of December, our furnace broke. And it was like from 1985, it was a gas burning furnace, and it was like no, you cannot fix this. So I had a choice. I could spend 4 grand to get a new gas burning furnace that like I'm not going to replace for a long time, and continue the use of those fossil fuels, or I could get an electric heat pump that was also an air conditioning unit, which we don't have in my house, for $15,000. And looked at the numbers and ended up making the call of saying, no, this is one of those decisions where I'm sending that signal to the supply chain and making that deliberate choice. It costs much less in energy costs. So there's, I can recoup and I'm getting an additional feature that I didn't have before.
1: Yeah, Well, that all sounds amazing. I mean, I still have an air conditioning unit, but as with many people, you'll have failures in the system. The unit is probably 20 years old. And uh, about five years ago, we started to have some failures and made the choice to fix it as opposed to just ditch it because it is somewhat energy efficient as air conditioners go. I mean, it's an air conditioner, so they do use, they consume energy, but replacing the coils versus just sending this thing into the landfill seemed like the better option, even though the cost of repair wasn't all that much different in some ways from getting a new unit. And so I think in some cases if we're starting to talk about the economies that we want to build in the future, having a repair economy, having something set up to to keep the things operating longer that are durable goods is generally speaking a good decision. Now, long term. Moving to an all-electric household where we don't have to rely on gas, that's the goal for me, but I'm not getting there until we do a remodel, and that's a little further down the road than I would like for it to be. But there are certain realities that I think we all have to account for in our home spaces and just working to do a little bit better each day is really where we should be. That being said, something as simple as how you invest the funds that you have and what they're doing while they're there can also really play in. So let's talk a little bit about the products that you're working to build presently with the Carbon Collective, how they're different from what already exists and what might be in the future, or if you can give us a little tidbit of what's coming, that would be cool.
0: Amazing. So we started Carbon Collective because we couldn't find any way to invest for our retirement that was building the world that we actually wanted to retire into. And that put simply is a climate stable world. If we are able to solve climate change in the next 30 years, and when I say solve climate change is to define it, is we run our global civilization without burning stuff. We're no longer having to combust to do it.
1: So you're saying also the no-fire furnaces and things like that too?
0: Yes, yes. I mean, you can get into the minutia of maybe those are done with biofuels that are part of the current carbon cycle and not part of the historic one, but at a very high level our civilizations run by burning stuff. And most of that stuff is carbon that we dig up and fossilized carbon that is millions of years old that we burn. And that super efficient way to do it. It built the world that we have today. We have to give fossil fuels their due with them. So that is what we need to build. If we're able to get there, then we'll be in a position to start drawing down that excess carbon that we have in our atmosphere that is over-insulating our planet. That's the goal of what we need to do over the next 30 years. When it comes to investing, and this was part of us in starting Carbon Collective, we did two things. First, we started with the individual and we did 120 interviews with our friends and other folks that are around us and tried to see where did people's climate anxiety take them and where did they get blocked? What well, was like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. And investing was this place again and again, where people maybe had an ESG-based portfolio. It's okay. I think this is better. But they'd look inside of it and they'd be like, why is this company in here? I don't get that. And the problem with ESG is it was never built for impact investing or values-based investing. It was a tool for institutional investors to account for ethical risks that then got kind of wrapped up to meet the demand for people's investments to build the world that they want to see. But it's all based upon proprietary data that you actually don't get to see unless you pay like $30,000 a year to one of these analytics companies. I know, probably not worth it. So that's what we saw Is like, okay, there is a lot of demand for sustainable investing that's not being met here. And then when we looked at the other end of saying, what do we need to do to solve our most pressing problem within sustainability, which is climate change? It's very clear that investing has to be a key part of it. For us to solve climate change, again, reach that place where we stop burning stuff to run our civilization, we need to increase annual investments into climate solutions by 10 to 20X.
1: Wow. I mean, 10 to 20x, that's, that's a monumental shift.
0: It is a really big change. There's a lot of good news on that front, but we're behind on it, is the short answer.
1: That's the theme of climate activism. I mean, we're always behind the eight ball, it seems.
0: And we're building. There's more coming. And at the same time, we have to divest from fossil fuel expansion, just full stop. So that to us is sustainable investing. And anything that is not aligned with that reality is hard to see where it's sustainable. And that is a problem of what we saw for ourselves and for others of what Wall Street was offering today or what you can get near a 401k today is that if it was whatsoever ethical or dubbed as sustainable, it often still had more fossil fuel investments than climate solutions. And that really didn't make sense to us.
1: So in reality, our money is doing things we don't want it to be as it's sitting in a 401k. It's hard to make that change, but it's necessary. And rebrands of British Petroleum into Beyond Petroleum should not convince us that suddenly it's a wise investment to leave your money with a big company that's still in fossil fuels, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, many rabbit holes we could go into with that. I'll give a short one.
1: I mean, I want to bring it up because of the fact that if you're a layperson and you don't understand deeply what some of these larger companies are necessarily doing that could be a good signal to you. You could say, well, but it's just British Petroleum. I mean, they're going, they're doing green energy. I saw the latest advertising campaign by Chevron. They're really investing in green projects. So why is that necessarily bad? Their stock portfolio is performing well for me. Yes. Devil's advocate. I mean these are the things that you hear.
0: Of course. First was what I would say is within the last 10 years, energy stocks just came back into the black. So from a stock portfolio perspective, they've been performing terribly up until like the last year. They've had a very good last year. But when we zoom out, when we look at like, this is a question we get is, should I hold fossil fuel companies to engage with them as shareholders? Maybe that's an important way of acting. And you're also asking the counter question of saying, well, these are big energy companies. They seem to be making the transition just to a different form of energy, right? Would argue strongly that we have plenty of evidence to see that major oil companies are not good faith partners in solving climate change we can look at a company like BP aka beyond petroleum they ran they're currently being sued because they ran a series of advertisements in the uk in 2019 kind of showing that they were building EV charging stations electric vehicle charging stations and kind of all these other things trying to align themselves of saying hey we're the partner who are saying we have to solve climate change and we're going to go do it so for every 100 pounds that the money, British money, that BP is spending, this is as of 2021, guess how many of them were going into low carbon solutions?
1: I don't know.
0: 2%. <laughs> you got it. It was four. <laughs> okay. Low. It was low. So 96 pounds of what they're spending for in their investments were into the current hydrocarbon based projects. That is not whatsoever in alignment with this actual transition.
1: I mean, that is greenwashing personified.
0: It is greenwashing personified. Exxon showing their advertising of that they're investing in algae-based fuel. They want to create something like 10,000 barrels of algae-based oil per year. They create something like 10,000 barrels of oil in a single day.
1: Well, let's just put it this way. I mean, I work in the space of algae. I've been in that space for some time. And the reality is it's not a viable option, economically speaking. It's much better as a nutrition source for animals and for humans. And so commercializing it in that way makes a lot more sense because you can feed people without impacting marine ecosystems, for example. So I think these are the things that we should be looking at. Beyond petroleum, what they're essentially trying to do is say, these are not the droids you're looking for. Look over here. And that isn't the way to shifting the dynamic away from fossil fuel use. It's just obviously not.
0: And that exactly that dynamic goes to our theory of change, because there is an ongoing debate in the activist investor community of saying, should you hold ExxonMobil to pressure them on climate? We strongly believe, no, you should divest from them. Because A, we do not believe that they are good faith actors, and that any engagement that you do with them is fundamentally a delaying tactic. It is saying, okay, we'll relieve pressure. Yeah, we'll start tracking our scope three emissions in a couple of years get off our backs.
1: Yeah. Well, frankly, it sounds like how our political system works too. So do we just divest in our political systems
0: as well? That might be out of my pay rate.
1: Half joking, but you know what I mean? It's like suddenly uh, you support.
0: Yes. And that is part of what's I think hard to navigate, especially as an individual. We live in a hyper-capitalistic, hyper-extractive world and economy um, that is also increasingly hyper-individualized. So how do we work within that? To us, Where we should be focusing our investor energy is not on getting fossil fuel companies to voluntarily reduce supply, because why would they do that if they have customers that are lined up for it? We should reduce demand. The type of pushes that we would like to see is rather than focus on fossil fuel companies, let's do something like on big box stores, where they have huge roofs that a lot of them don't have solar panels on them. It makes economic sense for them to put solar panels on many of those roofs, and it makes economic sense for them to add battery backups in many areas as well. So let's use our investor pressure to do that. And let's reward them if they do. And it also makes financial sense. Look what's happening in today's electricity market. The high gas prices are sending, it's all haywire. So it's a very volatile business item is electricity. If you put solar panels on, especially if you have a battery backup, now you've removed that volatility from your business. You can plan a lot better. So it again comes back to this place of saying, We don't necessarily need to sacrifice, especially on a lot of the low-hanging fruit of the things that we have to do this decade to be on track to avoiding catastrophic warming.
1: Given that advice, do it now as opposed to later, divest now from these options that aren't going to build the future that we want or need and move it in another direction. How would you handle something like that with something as simple as a 401k? Yeah. More complicated as a 401k, as the case may be.
0: Totally. So This is how we do it at Carbon Collective. We build portfolios broadly in three steps. When we look at the total U.S. stock market, about 20% of it are made of companies who are technologically dependent on the long-term use of fossil fuels for their core business. Put another way, if we jump ahead to that world where we have solved climate change, where that is zero carbon, these industries would need a miracle breakthrough in technology to exist, or those companies would have to change industries, like move to a solar company. So we divest, that is step one, is we cut them out of that portfolio. It's about 20%. We then reinvest, step two, we give that share of the stock market to the companies that are building solutions to climate change. Again, if you remember what we have to do from an investment perspective, we have to massively increase investments into climate solutions while drawing down those that are into fossil fuel expansion. So this is accounting for that. Step two is reinvest into the companies building solutions to climate change. We apply this as broadly as possible. What we do is we go and look at what are the best independent plans for how we solve climate change, like Project Drawdown, the International Energy Agency, Rewire in America. What are the climate solutions that the best scientists are telling us what we need to build and scale? Then we see which publicly traded companies are building those, and we remove those that generate more revenue from products or services built for the fossil fuel industry. So we only use revenue. We don't use pledges. These talk is super cheap in this space. What you did last year is your best indication of what you're going to do next year. So, and we weigh it all by market caps. We're not picking winners and losers. We're trying to apply the best of index-based investing with a very specific climate lens. And that's step two. Step three is we hold to engage in our core portfolios. So this is broadly the rest of the stock market, because these are the industries whose core businesses can exist in a world where we solve climate change. Are these sustainable businesses today? By and large, no. An example of, I often use is Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is not an environmentally friendly company today. But if we look ahead to that world that is zero carbon, there is no reason why Coke can't sell me a beverage using the secret recipe. They are just doing it on 100% renewable energy, on 100% electrified fleet, and they are protecting instead of abusing their natural resources. That is where we believe we should be working with them as shareholders to pressure them to get there as quickly as possible. And it's especially true because a company like Coke, they don't just view me as a shareholder and uh, they also view me as a consumer. And I use that word in air quotes because they invest billions of dollars a year in protecting my sentiment from being negative about them. That gives us power of how we could use that leverage to push them in the directions that we want them to go to protect their sentiment of it. So that's our theory of change of how we can build what are comprehensive, diversified, broad-based portfolios that have a similar risk and reward as you would get for a generic based index portfolio, where everything has a clear theory of change.
1: You use the example of Coke. So I'm just going to ask directly, are you invested in Coca-Cola?
0: Yeah, that's a part of our core strategy is we are looking broadly at those industries and sectors. Now, we have a second flavor of portfolios, what we call climate only. For some people, they're like, look, I get the whole theory of change. I just really don't like Coke or I don't like Amazon or whatever it is.
1: Well, I just don't like plastic. You know, they use so much plastic that it's like, it's painful for me to consider. They have their bottled water division and plastic, plastic, plastic. And so if I consider the amount of waste that my money is going into, that's like the piece that I've been really kind of a stickler on. I mind aluminum much less because it can be recycled so much and because most cans are recycled. And so for me, my play with Coke a long time ago would have been, hey, you give up plastic. I might buy one of your products again. But right now, I buy zero.
0: And I think that makes total sense. And that's where there is these individual choices here. I think that there is a counter argument. And this is where it gets into that question of, for the same reason, some might say, well, even if you hate ExxonMobil, you should own them so you have that seat at the table to pressure them.
1: Hmm. You'd have to own a lot of them.
0: (laughs) You don't have to own that much. And this is why by collectivizing, we get to collectivize all of us together to use our votes in coalition, but also to propose our own shareholder resolutions for this. So that is what our core strategy is built around of, yes, there are going to be companies in here that like, I don't love Coke, but I do believe that they can be a company in the industry that they're in in general. It's not counter to solving climate change. It is not mutually exclusive from it, which means that we have to pressure them as much as we can from a pragmatic standpoint. Now, again, we have folks who say like, look, I get that, I don't want it. So we have our climate only, which is just the companies building solutions to climate change, which are also not perfect. We do not live in a perfect world. There is no perfect company. It does not mean we should not engage with them to pressure them to get there faster. So it's just climate solutions balanced just against green bonds. And so it is a higher risk, higher reward portfolio, but some people also prefer that as well.
1: Wow, okay. It sounds like you have a few options available for people that are considering shifting how their money is saved. How do people find this information easily? Do you just recommend they go to your website or is there a particular way that you prefer that they educate themselves? Perhaps it's a YouTube channel.
0: Yeah, a couple of ways. Our website, I think, is a pretty good resource. In being in this space, we know that we are guilty until proven innocent there has been so much greenwashing when it comes to sustainable investing. And so we try to do our best to transparently show exactly what we do and why. For example, with the climate solutions, that's step two, Free Invest, we not only show every single company that made it through our 2022 filter and why, but we also show every single company that got considered that it was building a climate solution and why they didn't make it. It is a level of transparency that we've never seen from any other type of filter before. And that's really critical to what we're doing. So, our hope is that if you go to carboncollective.co, you should be able to find a lot of resources. We also have our Sustainable Investing 101, which is our ultimate guide to sustainable investing, which is if you have an hour, is I think a pretty thorough read on how to think about this space, why your IRA or your 401k actually matters for it. Getting into some of the myths, like I said, that sustainable investing is charity, which is false, and projecting out into the future. And then we also do a breakdown of looking at, all right, for all the big online investors, investment groups like Betterment or Wealthfront or Acorns, let's look at their ESG or sustainable option and look at what percent of it is fossil fuels, what percent of it is climate solutions. Do they hold JP Morgan? Yes, they all do. Do they hold ExxonMobil? Yes, they all do. In questions like that. So, trying to bring out some of those questions that we might ask into the forefront rather than saying, this has four and a half out of five stars. And you're like, what would make it a 4.2? Like, just don't know that.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that transparency. I did spend a bit of time in your free email course that you have on your website, which I thought was actually really cool. Chapter one, I'm just looking at my other screen here, was why investing is the only realistic path to solving climate change. Chapter two is why your retirement fund matters for solving climate change. And then it goes on and on from there. I think there's six chapters. I made it through the first few, but there's also blogs too. So I think that's a really helpful resource. I appreciate that you've, it's been kind of outlined in a course format because it deepens one's understanding of what the present situation is and helps them build on their prior knowledge, so.
0: Perfect, and if I could say one more thing there is we are humans, we are real people who care about this a (laughs) lot. There's a button on our website called Talk to a Human. A lot of people, they are like, ah, I inherited this IRA and I don't know what to do with it or something like that. You click that, you'll get a real response if you just have a single question or if you wanna book time with us, book time with us.
1: Well, that's fantastic. I like that. I have personally been frustrated with sometimes how hard it is to get somebody on the line at any bank or whether it be a credit card or otherwise. And it makes it a little bit nicer to be able to just confer with somebody on the daily if needed. Now, I do have another question, but this really relates to how uh, you go ahead and really ensure that people have access to visibility of their funds while they're in play And the reason I put it out there is because you'll see things like stock market takes a tumble and people panic and want to go look at how their performance is at that moment. Do you have resources for those individuals and how might you counsel them if you have a momentary panic in the marketplace? Like right now? Like right now.
0: For example?
1: Yes, for example. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm speaking personally here because (laughs) it's not been good.
0: Absolutely. It has been a rough year, the stock market. So we host our individual platform with a group called Altrist. And so they handle all the behind the scenes trading. We do the management of the portfolios. So when you join us, you'll actually create an account with them where you can see every single holding that you're in. You can see your account balance and you can see its exact performance in a really pretty graph within that. Part of what we also do is we send a monthly members only newsletter. Sometimes we do it more often if we're seeing kind of shocks in the market where what part of our job is, it's to provide two things. It's to provide clarity and say, hey, so what's going on? Why are things so crazy right now? And then provide a plan. So what should you do about it? So the basic thing of what we say right now, and this is what we often say, is it depends what you're saving for. Let's just talk about retirement. If you're not that far away from retirement, often the best plan in times like this, where things are a bit bearish in the market, is to do nothing. Just ignore it for this period. You want to remain invested and exposed. Sometimes the best plan even is to say, all right, I'm going to put more cash in because everything is on sale right now and do that. That is often like the best strategy. Some of the worst strategy could be, oh my God, I need to pull out. Now, there maybe is a mindset for that. If you're saying, I no longer believe that this entire system is going to be upheld. We know people who have said like, yeah, then you don't want to be a part of it. This is kind of the gold in a gun strategy where I think it is important to acknowledge that for some folks that might be the right thing to do. If you're not there, then staying invested is by far historically has been the smartest strategy.
1: Yeah, well, I've kept investing in my child's. Their 529s, for example, just draws every month, and I don't worry so much about that one, but I did check recently to see how they're performing, and it was a little scary. So of the moment, I think we have these blips in the market that can be very concerning, but when you have instability in any major region in the world, as with what's happening in the Ukraine presently, that tends to have ripple effects into communities around the globe, and so you're going to see market instability, and it's going to get a little rough for a while but that doesn't mean the entire system is broke. Now, I'd like to invite you back at a later time to talk a little bit more about finances and and specifically as it relates to cryptocurrency and the things that are happening in that arena. And the reason I'm going to go ahead and kind of talk about this for a moment, because I want people to think about it. If you're in NFTs and if you're in cryptocurrency, there's a lot of controversy about how green it really is and how stable it can be long-term and whether or not there is a potential to shift the way we bank today to something that is more divested from our present system. And so I don't know a ton about it. I imagine you know a little bit more than me about it. And I'm working to educate myself and really just try to understand what the reality is. But what I would ask you before we close just on this single subject is Do you believe that cryptocurrency can be a sustainable monetary way of doing things?
0: An interesting use of the term sustainable there. (laughs) Yes. As broadly as possible, when we look at cryptocurrency as a potential currency in which it is being exchanged for goods and services, um, it is very hard for me to see how we are on a path towards doing that. It seems it is very strongly tied as an investment vehicle right now. It is not an equivalent of cash for example, people aren't buying Bitcoin to use it to buy a car. They're buying it because they think that it will go up and other people will buy it. And so that makes it pretty hard for us to see how as a cryptocurrency or as a coin, these things are going to be used. There is interesting potential applications with using blockchain technology for tracing ownership to make some types of things within the climate solution space simpler. There's more stuff that's coming out in the carbon credits market with that or other ways of investing of can we use this to enable more people to invest directly in solar farms or things like that because Mm -hmm. you can verify and chop up ownership into much smaller bits with it. That we see being interesting as a way of basically automating contracts from it by baking it into the code. That is pretty interesting, but in terms of as a a means of exchange or a medium in that regard, it is hard for us to see it just being sustainable and that it is used year over year as a currency. And then with Bitcoin in particular, it is very hard to see that it is whatsoever environmentally sustainable, especially because there is no single entity that controls it. So there is no way to say, hey, let's stop bringing abandoned coal mines or coal power plants back on track, back online. To power Bitcoin mining.
1: Right. Well, and my husband will be happy if it starts to take a nosedive because getting things like a good video card right now are pretty challenging for video gamers.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. It has done major disruptions to the industry as a whole. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Zach, and for humoring me as we talk for a moment about some of this other underbelly in the world of both financing and investing that is cryptocurrency and NFTs blockchain as well. So as I work to educate myself, I will take recommendations for things I should be reading. So feel free to send those my way. And I want to be sure to include links and show notes to everything that we talked about today. So I will be following up with you to make sure I get access to all of those little tidbits. Do you have any final words in closing that you'd like to share with our community?
0: I generally like to say something along this. The world only changes, the status quo only changes when enough people change it. We, when we started Carbon Collective, we had a lot of people who are saying, why should I do anything about this? It's the corporations and governments. It's like, all right, that's true. But how do corporations and governments change if not the collectivization of enough individual action to change it? So taking change is an act of faith. It is fundamentally an act of faith but it is also the only way that the world changes. So focus on the big stuff, get it done, and then find the thing that you really want to focus on within this. That is kind of our best advice.
1: Awesome, And that echoes what I share in many of my episodes. Now, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, Zach. Stick around for a moment.
0: Done. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Now, listeners, it's come to that point in our conversation. I want to invite you to lean into discovery. Think about the change that you can make in how you're managing your finances and what the money that you have is already doing. It's important that we take a little personal responsibility for the footprint that we leave on this planet. And that doesn't mean that all of this work is on your shoulders. But if collectively we choose to make a difference, guess what? The change that we'll be able to create will be greater than you could have ever imagined. Thank you, listeners, now and always for being a part of this pod and this community because together we really can do so much more. We can even change the way we use our banks and we can regenerate earth. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.